0: the best relationships are built on learnable skills the question becomes are you willing to learn join john and Sungshim Lopnow as they converse with leaders at the intersection of brain science and spiritual formation with practical ways of staying connected to the presence of god and to one another we hope that the presence and practice podcast serves you and other leaders around the world with tangible ways to increase love in every interaction And now, to tell you more about today's episode, here's John and Sung Sheen. I'm sitting outside recording this intro to part two, and I just wanted you to be able to hear the birds. They're so sweet. And sometimes it's good just to pause and notice nature and hear what you hear. In this episode, Ken and I continue our conversation, and we start off talking about practical honest definition of trauma and how it's quite a normal experience on some levels that we all experience and then we continue the conversation so I look forward to hearing your responses and uh, how we can continue to serve you so God bless and enjoy one thing I, I think it'd be good to talk about is trauma bonding attachment And, you know, and probably you can relate as a therapist when I people seek me out, they're like, "Okay, I have trauma. But some of them are just anxious and they're like, I don't have trauma. And so I think maybe even just giving some definition to trauma, it would be a good, helpful start is Peter Levine defines trauma as going through something painful with lacking compassionate presence. I like that. Right. So it's, it's, we've all done that. We've all experienced like, and he even like getting like falling off your bike and being alone so that, and depending on the person's temperament and makeup, it could, it may or may not be. Or like they talks about a girl whose ice cream cone fell off and it's not like the parents were mean, but just weren't attentive to what that meant uh, to the inside. And if there's a lack of compassionate presence and you feel alone in it, and it hasn't been healed, then that's an experience of trauma. That's one level. That's like the broadest, most open way of saying like, oh, there's parts of us that experience some pain and it probably is there a little bit stuck there. Yeah. And I think, I
1: think John, it's really, that's a really helpful definition to normalize trauma because I think most of the time when people think of trauma, they think of, you know, seeing somebody get killed or being mugged or, you know being raped or something horrible like that and yes those, that is trauma yes. but you know anytime we're overwhelmed it's going and we're alone it's going to it's going to create trauma
0: mm-hmm.
1: and what a lot of people though, in my experience what a lot of people tend to do is they minimize those hurts and they'll say things like well you know my parents did the best they could and it happened so many years ago that you know, I'm just, just. I'm just going to choose to move on. And while I'm sure their parents did the best they could, the reality is we still didn't get what we needed as yeah. much as we needed. Yeah, yeah. No matter how well intentioned our parents were, wa- were.
0: Yeah, my my working assumption for almost all parents is they did the best they could, and they most likely. Moved forward from where their parents were. Yes, that's a working assumption. And mostly it's, it seems to be true. It's just like I, me and Sunshim are trying to go farther than our parents, right. and And so, yes, but still, if there is like an honest acknowledgement and and something that Shim and I have been thinking about is, I'll use the word like some sort of mindful practice, and I'll define mindful. It could be one of those terms that you yes. know, we be thoughtful about. It just means honestly acknowledging this causes me distress or joy or excitement, or my, it lowers my energy. It's just honestly detecting it objectively without quickly moving forward. Yeah. we We need that for there to be a shift or a change or healing or transformation. So yeah, you're right. Like, I, I've seen people gather together and say, Oh yeah, my parents beat the crap out of me. And they would laugh because it's a common experience. And they but it's like, but oh, that's what we did, that's how we survived. And there's social and cultural reasons why that happened. And and those parents love those kids. And I really yeah. believe that. Um and yet that does have a negative effect on the soul of a little or big being. And right. And even like I know we we talked about Jim Wilder, life model works. They have nice categories of they just call it trauma A and trauma B. You reference trauma B are bad things that happen to us. Right. You know, right. like my parents' divorce, that's an that's an obvious one that people can point to. Car accidents, physical things that have happened to us, those are bad things that happen to us. Trauma right. A are the absence of good and necessary things that By God's design, as Christians, I would say that, but even to non-Christians, I would say by like the human design of what a human body and family needs, Mm -hmm. God designed it to be a certain way. And if it's lacking, it's like not having enough water. People wouldn't say, oh, that's traumatic. Well, it will have huge effects on your body if you do that consistently over a long period of time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or you could use uh, nutrition as a similar analogy. Is yeah. that if you don't get proper nutrition, then it is going to have an effect on your physical development. And for some reason, there's a. I'm actually writing an article right now about the social stigma that emotional uh, problems or struggles uh, has. That, and I liken it to uh, a few years ago, I fell and broke my wrist and. I wish I could say that I did it doing something cool like motorcycle racing or skydiving, but I actually tripped and fell at the dump. And it was so painful. Well, nobody had any problem with me going to the doctor, getting the surgeries that I needed, doing physical therapy. You know, and if, and
0: I, if I saw you, I would have just told you to suck it up while you need to go to the doctor.
1: <laughs> You're so compassionate, Joe.
0: Right?
1: Yeah. But if I'm struggling with depression, which I have struggled with it before, or anxiety, which I still struggle with to degrees at times uh, today, and need to deal with that in a way that's through therapy or through medication or whatever, it's like, ooh, maybe you don't have enough faith, Ken. Maybe, you know, maybe there's some kind of spiritual warfare thing going on. You need to mm-hmm. confess something. or And, you know, some of those things could be true for sure. But there, there seems to be a... Broad acceptance of physical things, if you have high blood pressure, you take medication for it nobody 's got a problem with it. If you have high cholesterol, no big deal if you 're diabetic, no big deal to take insulin. But man, if you struggle with something emotionally, mm. you have a stigma on you, even in the church, which to me is is really sad because over and over again we see in scripture that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. Paul talks about bearing each other's burdens. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. It's like, whoa, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. You know, James 5 talks about, uh, you know, confessing our sin one to another and praying for each other that you may be healed. I did a whole Mm -hmm. uh, deal on that one in my dissertation and pulled that verse apart because the wording that's used there can refer to both physical as well as emotional pain. Mm. And so for some reason though, we don't have a good theology mm. of emotional pain or even of emotions for that matter. And I think that's where writers like you know uh, Pete Scazzaro has been really helpful to kind of you know pioneer the way there for understanding emotions in our uh, in our spiritual life. Yeah. Yeah. And it was really helpful for me.
0: No, you're right. The the role of emotions, what yeah. I mean, a good theology or even like a good philosophy, even in the world. You know, I think that's partly why is sure we don't even understand the role and what it is and how how we can have compassion for each other. Like, oh, I'm sure people go, oh, man, you broke your wrist. It's writing and all those things are impacted. Like, oh, you're feeling anxious. Oh, yeah, that can really disrupt the day. And it's harder to get things done. And that would that's kind of a compassionate response one verse that I like that sort of is like a rule of thumb of what human maturity is, which is, you know, life model talks about a full development is, but one is, can we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice? And if you're in community, most likely both of those are happening simultaneously depending on the size of the community. Like some people are excited, like, Oh, I accomplished this. That's like rejoicing. And then another person is sad that, they lost a job or a family member or just like they're feeling down and they don't even know why.
1: Yeah. As you were sharing that, I I remembered years ago uh, I was at a church in Washington, DC. And one of the ministries that I started was a ministries to young couples. We had a young adult ministry and we had all these uh, people getting married and I just thought, hey, this will be really fun. We're celebrating kind of the first year of marriage and just helping them get off to a good start. And it's it's great. So we had all these couples, and we were having a blast. And then after about eight, eight months or so, because these uh, – in Washington at that time, at least, people were getting married a little bit later. So they're in their late 20s. Mm-hmm. Well, they couldn't get pregnant. Mm. Or they had – you know, uh, a baby that had disabilities when it was born. And so now, whereas before we were making every pregnancy announcement to the whole group and everybody's cheering and everything. And now we've got this grieving process with these other parents. And I was, I didn't even see that coming, you know, when I first started this ministry, but to your point, there was the rejoicing and the grieving going on in the very same room at the very same moment. Yep. And it is
0: it is very hard, it is a high vision to be able to become the kind of people, a people, not just an individual, but a people who can rejoice and weep in community together. But I wanna hold it out as a possibility, like in my heart, in my gut, that is possible. It may take a while to get there for us to develop the capacity to become those kind of people but it's possible. And I want to hold that out. And I'm not going to apologize. Like, it's like, no, we can do it, but there's going to be bumps along the way. And I know like, especially around grief and emotions, like, oh, I don't want to like share because they're excited and I don't want to take away, or I just feel horrible. I could see the one grieving. It's hard to rejoice. It just is. And I it's, that's just painful and tough. And so it's not easy. I give my, a lot of compassion for the whole journey. Well and
1: and then if you if you know someone or maybe some of your listeners might even be experiencing chronic pain. Oh. You know, we have a really good friend, oh. Susan and I, that has chronic pain. Yeah. So every time you ask her how she's doing, it yeah. you know, and she she she's really careful about that. She really doesn't want to be a downer, but it's hard for her to really be honest with with you about how she's feeling because she's Pretty much always feeling crappy. And it, it's just so hard because she doesn't want to be a burden. She doesn't want to be the buzzkill in the room, you know, because of her disability. And so it creates that tension between needing to be vulnerable and needing to be, you know, needing the empathy that comes, you know, with those that really care about you, but not wanting to overwhelm others with the constancy
0: of that pain. And that's why I, I believe it's like a communal response because it yes. makes some people in the community can attend to somebody with a little more, but it, it is a communal thing. And then you can rejoice and it doesn't have to be everybody all the time, everything, but some simple like mindful, like a group mindfulness of like in this community, we actually have people who are in pain and suffering mm-hmm. and celebrating and we hold it together. One of, in, in Colossians, one of my favorite verses that I'm meditating on, in Christ, all things are held together. Yes. And that, you can meditate on that forever and never reach its end. Well, and that's
1: such an encouraging passage, even in light of all that's going on in our world today, with all the uncertainty and all the concern and all the fear and yeah. you know the pandemic and everything else that, hey, Jesus is holding all this together. He's yeah. still on the throne he's in control he's sovereign yes. and we can we can rest in that even in the midst of very difficult circumstances we can we can rest in that
0: yeah well you know we talked about a lot of things is there something on your heart that you wanted to like draw out as you know we begin landing the plane but what's what's your uh, what what do you think oh i wish we could have mentioned this or talked about this or wove this in
1: John, one of the things in The Joyful Journey and that you are an author on that work that I have found, both Susan and I have found very helpful, and I've actually used it with some of my clients too, is Emmanuel Prayer. And maybe as a really practical uh, tool for all that we've talked about in this, how would you see – let me flip this, the, the yeah, interview on. here on you.
0: <laughs> this is your show. I like it. I like it.
1: How would you see Emmanuel Prayer – informing us and being a tool for us to process trauma to understand emotion to you know all these things that we've been talking about
0: that is so good and the and we are Sangshim and I are even discovering the beauty of the process that was a communal discovery and integration with Jim and Anna and Sangshim kind of putting it all together so you know we start with gratitude and most of the time, depending on we have a capacity, we could we could focus on something we're grateful for and hear God's response. But sometimes we're just in so much distress; it's like forget it. I, there's nothing. I'm just yeah. in pain, and this sucks. You're just it's, locked up. Yeah, it's just mm. so. As an ongoing practice, it's good to start with gratitude. But honestly just just read the Psalms, like. You know, they, they usually end with some form of acknowledgement and gratitude, but sometimes there's a lot of like, what is going on, God? What's, how long, what's happening, yeah. you know? Well, so, there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. Right? <laughs> Let's remember that, you know? Yeah. And so um, so the thought rhyming, or also in psychological terms, attunement. Mm-hmm. And in the book, we talk about this, and it is evidencing Psychological reality of compassionate presence and being attuned to like, that's what therapists do. That's what parents do. And just people who have that intention, they attune to the heart and what's going on inside that, that immaterial, which is also evidenced in the material, like what's in the heart of somebody and having someone compassionately attending is healing transformative, empowering, leads to a more successful life. Like, I mean, I'm using the terms that catch people's attention because maybe they want to be like more like Christ and they want to be successful. And I honestly think if you heal and are transformed, it will lead to better relationships, which can lead to a more successful way of living. And I'm, I'm not defining it because I'm just trying to capture whatever is on people's attention. So the thought rhyming. I'm going to give you the five prompts, which if you can write them down, you could hear God's response or even just knowing is I can see you. Yeah. And that part is I physically see you sitting there. And if you're anxious, like you're holding your breath, your muscles are tight because we're embodied people. And, and we when we experience being seen physically, not just metaphorically, although included, that brings about a different experience, a healing one. Yeah. And then I can see you, I hear you is like, God hears our thoughts and he's, he's not judging it like he's condemning and he's mad at you, but he's, he wants to, he's like, he's like first, like he's mindfully aware. He's acknowledging this is, these are, these thoughts are actually in your mind. You hate that person or you hate yourself or you want to give up or you're just, you feel despair because you don't know how to move forward. I see, I hear all those thoughts. And then, you know, like, I'm, I understand how big it is for you. Like, so God, uh, he gets the size. So something you and I could go through, it could be a different size, like planning for, Yep. I might be overwhelmed and you may be like, Oh, I got this and vice versa. And so, but God knows me and he knows you and he's like, Oh, this is really big to you. And maybe even reminds you of, when you were younger, you went through this experience at home or at school. I see that. I, I hear that. And I'm, I, I get it. And then he reveals how he's glad to be with you, how he's compassionately, peacefully, joyfully, gently present. And then it ends with the fifth one is I can do something about this. Or, and then usually it ends up with I'm with you and I'm bringing about good. It's like that. The, in Christ all things are held together. I'm revealing how I'm walking with you moving forward in healing. So I'll tell you the five prompts. I can see you. I hear you. I understand how big this is for you. I'm glad to be with you. And I can do something about this. Even that, if you say that to yourself, and imagining or sensing or however you do in your prayerful way, knowing that that's, if if a therapist can do that, a good therapist can do that, Sang Shimon, I believe God's at least as good as a good therapist. And <laughs> we would right. hope. I, I know, right. I know. I'm saying it tongue in cheek. Like, obviously, he's at least as good as a good therapist. Actually, he's 10 times better, infinitely better. He's capable of at least that. Yeah. Well, and he can
1: be with us 24-7. where Our good therapist can only be with us for an hour or two.
0: Right, right. And then this, this is like uh, psychologically, it's called attunement. But in Exodus 3, when God sees the Israelites, interestingly, that he, he sees them, he hears their cries, and he's with them, and he's going to lead them out. Yep. and it, it reflects God's character. Right. Which then helps to reform our distorted
1: thoughts about God. Yes. So, again, that becomes another practical passage we can even meditate on to help rewire our brains and correct our distortions about who God is. Yes. And so I think that's what I love about this, John. And that's how, for me, the neuroscience behind all this makes it so practical Mm -hmm. and so biblical because we affirm the power of God's word and we see the outcome when we Focus our thinking on the word of god it's it 's not unlike what Paul talks about in taking every thought captive the way that I explain that passage is i 'm going to take i'm going to identify a lie or a distortion and then i 'm going to hold that up to what God says is true and then I have a choice am I going to believe the lie and the distortion or am I going to believe in faith that what God says is true and it really matters which of those two i 'm going to start focusing my attention on as and
0: everything we've talked about in this in this show reinforces that yes and and a compassionate response that I have experienced from God is him saying, "John, I understand why you believe that lie yes i I understand how you got there. It makes sense to me. Yeah. I want to lead you over here to the reality of who I am and who you are and who the people of god are yeah yeah i i I know we need to wrap up, but
1: I've been thinking lately that maybe there's a specific grace that each of us experience from God Mm. because of what you just said, because he knows our hearts. He knows why we do what we do. My experience with most Christians, John, isn't that their, their, their sinful behavior isn't, isn't outright rebellion against God. It's the result of coping or numbing some kind of brokenness or pain that God is fully aware of because he was there when it happened. Yeah. And so he gives us a grace. doesn't make it okay. I'm not saying sin is okay, but I believe that God works with us with that knowledge Mm -hmm. and brings about the outcome in a way that is appropriate to that situation. Yes.
0: Yeah, and the... the sin that we call, the behavior we call sin is like the result of much before it. Yes. And that's where the compassion can lead and heal and shape the, the, the vine and the fruit that grows from it. Yes, And even having understanding the source of the behavior. Sin is, if, if it's so focused on the behavior, but it's just like a warped way. Another, another aspect of sin is a warpedness to it. And if we can get back at the root of the behavior, of the, the source of behavior, then there can be a compassionate response, which I have seen in myself, in my clients, in my family. If there's a sweeter, more nutritious substance of, of fruit in our lives, which yeah, in I, highest form is love. Yes. And love, it doesn't make excuses.
1: Love offers an unconditional dynamic to it. That actually doesn't make a person want to sin more. It actually makes them want to sin less, mm-hmm. because it's the kindness of God that mm-hmm. leads us to repentance.
0: Yes, and you're so right, Ken. What you said, people's image of God, they, 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 what they hold, because of what we just talked about, we under, I can understand why they hold it if I knew their history and their yes. upbringing and what they were explicitly taught and what they experienced with people more powerful than them but that ache sanctified heart that that's what deep down in people's bones they believe about God because it's it it's not true it's God is for you and with you and loves you and and will go to the ends of the earth to reach into your world and and deliver you like the israelites yeah, I've got a whole section in my book where I talk about the lies
1: that Satan tries to that he tempts us to believe about God, ourselves and others. Mm. And so it's there's a lot of there's a lot of material there in the book that really helps us to identify and correct those distortions of God because like you, I believe that is a really big deal.
0: Yeah. It is a really big deal and may I and you and our families be representatives of who God truly is. And and if I'm off or if we're off God and others, let us know. And I think, you know, like I want to have the mind of Christ in all things. And if I don't mirror that back to me and I will like be headed in the right direction by God's spirit and God's community. Amen. And would you do me a favor and just kind of weaving in who you are, what we've talked about, bless the people who are still listening and, um, And just weave in a blessing. I'd love to.
1: May you experience all the fullness that Jesus has made available to you. All his loving kindness and goodness and gentleness. May that be yours in Christ Jesus.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you. Ken, thank you so much. I think we could even talk longer. We could. (laughs) We are brothers and resonate so much. And I hope people check out the book and your website. It is idtministries.com, correct? That's it. Yes. And I think you have great resources. I love what you're doing. And uh, remember, you're the light of the world. And let's reveal Christ to one another in all we do.
1: Thanks, John. Great being with you. And take care. Ciao.